G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where this week we'll be talking about the episode Extremis. Dave, we've just watched Extremis. This is our hot take. Are you excited to be talking about it? Absolutely. There's a lot to discuss. This could be a very interesting 45 minutes coming up. I think so, because we don't discuss anything before we fire up the Skype line between Sydney and Melbourne and, and just start chatting. But I just have a feeling, the feeling deep inside, oh Lord, that <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that this is going to be a, uh, a really great chat. So shall we rip in? Well, let's go. What was your word of the week? Oh, yes, my word of the week. My word of the week is ascension. Ascension? Yes. Okay. I'm trying to work that one out, and I'm not yet, but that's okay. <laughs> that's the idea. Uh, mine was deceptive. Okay. Okay, maybe a little easier to work out, but it'll be interesting to hear perhaps what parts you thought were deceptive. It is, and when I explain why I went with that... Uh, remind me to tell you the word that I was almost going to go with and, and decided not to at the very last moment. Okay, I'm intrigued now. I want to start off by talking about the intro, the the pre-credits teaser, if you will, because I watched it and then I don't think... Oh, well, I can't remember the last time I did this with Doctor Who. I stopped iView and I rewound it to the start and I watched it again because I wanted to know how the uh, the rug had been pulled from under me. From the point of view that we have the Doctor being taken to this uh, strange castle by boat, and to all intents and purposes, he was the one to be executed. And then it turns out to be Missy. And I thought, how did this do it? How did this pull the rug from under me? So I rewound it and watched it again. And I think it's the moment where they say another Time Lord has to carry this out, and apologies for our choice. And Missy walks in. And it's so clever. Because they're clearly talking to the Doctor. They've pulled him out of time and space, perhaps, to do this. They're apologising to him. But because she enters at that moment, we think Missy is going to be killing the Doctor. I thought, by God, that's clever. That's great. Did you enjoy this intro? No. Oh, dear. Uh, for two reasons. And and let me explain. And I'm really interested in, in, in your take there. That's really I really am. So there are a couple of reasons why I didn't enjoy it. Partly because I was having horrible flashbacks to the telly movie. And as it was all unfolding, in the back of my head, all I could hear was Paul McGann saying, it was on the Daleks' home planet Scarra that the master was finally put on trial. And so he listened carefully as his list of crimes was read out. And I thought, oh, God, we're doing this again. Mm. Um, particularly when um, she mentioned the Daleks as well. I was like, no, it's all happening again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't like it as well because I picked it right from the start that it was trying to trick me. Right, Okay. I thought it was really quite obvious when the chief execution guy said, I'm really sorry for our choice, that he was apologising for you know asking the Doctor to do this unpleasant task. And I also thought it was really obvious that they were framing it in such an ambiguous way to try and trick the audience. And I don't like it when the writer deliberately tries to trick me. Mm. Okay. You know, I don't like it when dialogue is not natural. Actually, is written deliberately amb ambiguously because they think we'll be really clever and try and trick the audience here. And I guess it's it's unfair of me to say this, because when they do trick me, I can sometimes be really impressed by it. Mm. But when I get it, and I know I'm being tricked, I don't like it. So it's an interesting play, and I guess it's a worthwhile play, but it either really hits or it really fails with me. Yeah, I know what you mean about if they can pull the rug, it's sometimes really enjoyable. I mean, this past week, 
Mike Solko and I recorded our monthly episode of the Doctor Who show for this month. We're talking about a, a big Finnish audio called uh, Animal, and it hinges on a particular wording. And if you don't pick up on that wording, it really pulls the rug from you at the end. And both of us were delighted when that moment happened. That's a really good example, sorry, because I know exactly the one you mean. Okay. And I remember listening to that driving from Alice Springs to uh, Kings Canyon, picking up exactly the first time they said it, what the trick was going to be. Oh, no. And, and hating it for the rest of the thing, waiting for them to pull this really obvious rug from me. So that's, a, that's an exact example of where <laughs> if, if it works for you, it's a great twist. If it doesn't, you spend the whole episode going, come on, I know the twist is coming. Where is it? Right. Well, I was in Sydney traffic rather than perhaps the uh, the less cluttered traffic of driving up, up north there. So I was maybe concentrating on the road a little too much and, and <laughs> maybe my brain wasn't quite on the job because when that rug got pulled, oh, I loved it. And I loved it here too. I I didn't twig. I thought, okay, just the way it was set up, the, you know, the doctor standing at the prow of that boat and being taken, I thought, oh, they're killing him. This is This is amazing. And his jacket... Dave, the shabby jacket, how cool was that? I know I pick out weird things in episodes, but the shabby jacket, I loved it. It was like he'd been off adventuring and not, not just, you know, had it recently dry cleaned by the BBC wardrobe department. Yeah, that was um very nice. I'm not quite sure why it was like that, but it looked good. Yeah, look, I think it just builds the Capaldi Doctor, unlike Eccleston, where the Eccleston Doctor we almost see from adventure to adventure, and it's like the 80s, you can sort of tell one episode has ended and the next is beginning. Capaldi's Doctor seems to go all over the place. They've fed in a lot of different costumes and the sense that he's been at this uni for 50 years. There's a, there's a lot of scope for Capaldi in the future for maybe even just fan fiction, but even... Um, big finish perhaps and so on there's there's a there's a lot built in there it feels like this is a doctor who's been around for a while and done a lot of stuff even if we haven't seen it all yeah look that, that's very interesting and I, I, that leads me to my other point about the opening as well that was something i noted i'm enough of a fan of doctor who that i record a podcast about it yes and even then with some of the dialogue i was sort of having to almost pause the the iPlayer and stop and stretch my memory back and go oh, oh okay so hang on that that was in that episode and he was yeah he was with river there wasn't he? oh yeah I, and and trying to pull it all together and make sure that i could sort of see where in the timeline this was and how that all worked now if i as a fan was sitting there going oh hang on i need to work this all out where, okay, what, was going? what was a casual viewer thinking at that point mm. were, were, were they either just not really caring because hey they're just watching it or were they sitting there going Hang on, did I miss an episode? What What's going on here? Who's Who's this person? Yeah, this is the first time this series that we've sort of gone back to that sort of uh, more self-referential type of story. It's not a straightforward adventure. It is harking back to the past. And I, I guess that's playing up to the fans a bit. I, I Maybe Moffat said, look, we've given five episodes to the to the regular viewers. Let's throw them a... Let's toss them a bone, perhaps, because I, I noticed that, and I, I had questions myself. I was wondering, who are these executioners who execute people on planets all through the universe, and, and is this actually on Earth, or are they somewhere else? It could be somewhere else. How does he have River's diary? Uh, Nardole, that is, because doesn't River keep her diary until the very end and give that to David Tennant at the library? How is all this working? So I'm thinking all those things as a fan myself. So yes, it could be super, super confusing to a non-fan. And maybe going back to what some would say is the worst of Moffat, who in past years, going back to all this self-referential stuff that does confuse people, but which fans really love. It's fan service. 
look, on balance, we've had five episodes that haven't been like that, so maybe it's okay to be like that this time? Oh, I'm not I'm not sure whether it's okay or not. I'm certainly not judging in that sense. I, I simply ask the question, uh, how would this have played out for a casual viewer? Confusing. Yeah, I think it's so. I think so. Yeah. Well, look, obviously the cat's out of the bag. Missy was in the vault. I guess that's worth talking about here at the start. I've been on that case, I think you have, since that wacky piano music uh, started playing in uh, Knock Knock. I've been reminding people of this ever since, actually. Every time I go on Twitter, someone's saying, oh, it's, it's Susan in the vault, or it's River Song, or it's Ian Chesterton. And I keep having to say, hey, <laughs> they wouldn't be playing wacky piano music if you said some kids just got eaten, would they? No, it's Missy. And people are like, no, no, Moffat's so clever and complex and timey-wimey. And I'm like, no, sometimes he's really, really simple. Like, even Missy's name comes to mind. I mean, the moment we knew she was Missy, that first week people were saying, well... Missy, short for mistress, she's the female master. There's nothing hard about this. And that was correct. So sometimes Moffat doesn't do this big overarching stuff. Sometimes it is simple. And lo, she's in the vault. Well, everything you say there is probably correct. But until we actually see the doors of the vault open and Missy standing there, can we be sure? I know what you're saying. But what really sold it for me when he, he was sitting up with his back against it and he was saying, you know, Missy, he he was referring to the person in there as Missy. So if it opens up and it's not Missy, I think even he will be surprised. You see, I could have interpreted that line there as him not talking to the person in the vault, but talking to, uh, you know, the abstract, you know, how sometimes people say, oh, you know, wondering you know, how their parents would react and go, gee, Dad, what would you do if you were here? Or, gee, Dad, what do you think of this? Uh, and they're not actually talking to them. They're talking to the idea of them. And, and look, 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 you're probably right. And, and you're probably right that the simplest answer is the correct one. It has been from the start. And I think, yep, yeah, I think everybody sort of thought pretty early on that it was likely Missy and that, as you say, not, not confirmed it. But I guess that from an evidence point of view, because we haven't actually seen Missy go in the vault, nor have we seen the vault open and Missy be in there. From an evidential point of view, it's possible that there remains a twist. Look, it's one that the Moffat has played before with the Pandorica, so it's in his armory. Yes. But maybe you're right. Maybe the simplest explanation is the one. This is this is this is Occam's razor Moffat. Yeah, look, I, I totally hear you. I mean, we've gotten so close. I mean, the vault was sitting there in that body of water, and Missy's body was there, unconscious. Capaldi says, let's put her in. Something pretty amazing is going to have to happen that, that might stop them from getting that... Well, the water might. I, I was actually wondering how they might get through the water to, uh, to put her in there. But <laughs> yeah, aside I know, from I know that... it's funny. I was thinking the same thing, and it's funny the things that you worry about. Like, hang on, are they going to get wet putting her in there? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So aside from the water, I mean, it's pretty safe bet that they probably got her in there, but has she stayed in there, or has she turned into the Johnson master or something while she's been in there or yes something still could happen the rugs could still be pulled but gosh it's to me it's really firm that it's her in there but right. we shall yeah. see we shall see i know exactly where you're coming from and, and look this is perhaps one of the dangers of doing a podcast like this in that if i wasn't sitting there with part of my brain thinking i need to talk about this in 45 minutes i may not have thought about it in that much depth and may have just gone okay it's missy fair enough Maybe if I wasn't looking for alternatives, I would have just accepted the obvious. Mm, fair enough. On to the Doctor. Uh, I guess we mentioned him there sitting against the vault, talking to Missy, whether she's in the vault or not. 
I thought he was superb in this. Capaldi, for me, is just nailing it this season. I like that the fan suggestion in the past week or so that, oh, the Sonic Shades can maybe help him see. That has come true to some degree. He can sort of see outlines of things and, and was obviously getting that interesting feedback if it, the Shades see someone, it tells them their age and, you know, some stats and so on about them. I thought that was quite cool. And he even has that temporary blindness cure that doesn't seem to work so well. It's never stated it's regeneration energy. Although he does refer that this could affect future regenerations. I thought that was interesting in the way it fudged it. He wasn't just sort of magically having some glowing eyes and then they, they come good. I'm I'm kind of liking this storyline. I hope he doesn't stay blind, though, for the whole rest of the series. Because <laughs> it is uh, a very particular kind of way he has to play the Doctor. And I'd like to see him get back to his his normal self for at least some episodes. I certainly agree with you that Capaldi was playing this very, very well. and he, You're right, it's a tour de force performance from him this season. I have to say on balance, I wish that he hadn't stayed blind for the episode. And the reason for that uh, isn't so much because of the positives you spoke about, which were positives, and I did think it was quite clever, but simply because it requires a lot of the characters around him to start talking like they're in the, a big finished production. Mm. And, I, and I find that a little bit grating. So when you have to start having Nardole with lines like, oh, look, over there, it's a beam of light 10 feet away. It, it, it's like those moments you get in big finished productions and they can't help but they look, they do try and get around it as best they can. But, you know, sometimes when people just go, oh, my God, they have to say, oh, my God, look at that big monster that's coming over there, audience. Yeah, I did see the humour in it, though, because Bill doesn't know. And Nardole is having to say these things and thinking, I'm going to be busted any moment. You know, she's going to realise I'm explaining this to him because he's blind. And, you know, there's that sort of tension. You know, I, I found that quite fun myself. Uh, look, it was for a bit. I think I just got over it faster than you did. Okay. No, that's fair enough. Speaking of Bill and talking costumes again, I thought her costume looked really good in this episode. That that high neck uh, sort of... Steve Jobs used to wear them all the time. Turtleneck? I I don't really remember what she was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> she had, well, she was on. Her, she had her date night thing going on, so she was she was quite dressed up, which made her look a bit different to normal. She wasn't in jeans and a jacket. She was dressed up, and she had that high neck, uh, turtleneck kind of thing going on, almost like a skitty, a black one. And I was like, oh, she looks really good. She looks like an Avengers girl from the sixties or something. So I was really into that. And then she goes into the Vatican Library, the naughty section of the Vatican Library, and goes, oh, Harry Potter. <laughs> And I thought, that's sensational. I really love Bill in this episode. Yeah, I um, I didn't really think much of her costume, but I'm pretty comfortable saying that I'm inexpert on what 20-something-year-old women in Bristol wear, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I didn't I didn't really pay much attention to it other than going, well, that was a bit odd. I wouldn't dress like that, but, you know. Not I don't know, thinking. Dave. Date night and all. Yeah, no, no, it's like, look, I, I no, not interested, whatever, you know, it was a bit, not not on my radar, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, she did have some good lines there, and um, her performance got better and better as this episode went along. It, it really didn't. She gets some really good scenes later on as she starts to work out what's going on. Mm. Conversely, uh, Nardole, he got very serious in this episode, and it was really played up, the way he can go from extremely cold and quite menacing to jokey in half a sentence. And I'm betting, Dave, that you didn't like the repeated line that he can kick the doctor's ass. And on top of that, Bill asking, Nardol, are you a badass? Probably wasn't far behind for you. Am I right? Half right. Okay. Uh, the kicking ass stuff, I thought, yeah, did get a bit tiresome and was a bit over the top. But I, I liked the, uh, are you really just a heart? What was it? You're you really just a badass 
Yeah, it's only like, Nadal, are you a badass? Uh, yeah, I thought that was good because that was a natural conversation. Like, that was where the quip comes perfectly naturally out of the conversation, and I like it when Nadal does that. It's where it's forced that I don't like it. Yeah, I thought this this actually worked quite well, and re- honestly, for the first time, I really couldn't criticise Nadal in this episode. I, I didn't love him, but I thought he was okay. Okay, well, look, I'll try and go two for two, um, because Missy was quite understated, the whole you know, let me live. She wasn't over the top. She wasn't crazy. Did that sell Missy more to you in this episode, Dave? Because I know you're not a Missy fan. Yeah, it it did, actually. You're you're quite right. Her first couple of lines were a little bit grating for me, that sort of flowering around uh, the doctor. And I think that that's partly because they were still at that point trying to trick us into thinking that she was the one executing the doctor and not vice versa. So they were giving her this false confidence however from the moment she knelt inside the death machine i thought that was the best performance i've seen of missy so far and for the first time i actually started to get feelings that wow this actually is the master it was almost delgado-esque that that subtle underplaying particularly when she said you know please let me live Mm. i don't want to die i thought this is this is great yeah I actually quite yeah I was actually quite a fan of it so yeah you, you you've 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 nailed exactly what it is I don't like and exactly why I prefer this performance. Mm, I I thought you would I was I was watching it, taking in the performance and at the back of my mind thinking I think Dave might like this this might be the one where he likes Missy I don't know what she'll do in the next episode or two she might go crazy again and you'll be like oh no we're back to square one but for now I thought yeah you might like this and I'm I'm glad to see I was right about that. Yeah and I'll be interested to see how. Others who are big fans of that more crazed Missy character found this performance, whether they think it, uh, whether it adds an extra bit of depth and a layer that they enjoy as well, or whether they go, oh, this isn't the Missy that we love. Give us the silly one. Hmm. Of course, during the past week, we've also had Michelle Gomez announce that this is her last uh, spin in Doctor Who. She'll be in this uh, story, I assume all three parts, and also in the finale at the end of the series, and then that is it. Now, this is something that I raised when we did our preview episode for this series. I speculated, look, if Moffat's going and Compaldi's going, this is probably it for Missy as well. That is the case. I wonder if maybe some of that feeling is playing into this performance. She's done the wacky stuff now. She's going to be Perhaps a more serious master? I don't know. I don't know whether that's playing into it, but it's certainly the news we got this week, so maybe you, you've got some thoughts on, on that news in general anyway. Well, I need to correct a uh, rumour that's out there at the moment, Rob. The The rumour is that when I heard the news that Missy would not be coming back after this series, I said rejoice, rejoice. That is not true. I actually said rejoice three times. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right to make the serious point. You're absolutely right. If uh, this character's arc is coming to an end, and, I, and we, we said a long ago it was a perfectly natural thing for Moffat to want to, having invented this character, made it very much one of his characters, it's a very natural thing for him to want to take that and end it his way. Perfect thing to do, really sensible as a decision, I think. You're right, having decided to take that character to the end, will he mix it up a bit and change it and, and, and have a more serious and sinister aspect to it here i think we'll know that a bit more when we see her again as you said whether her seriousness here was just because she was about to be executed which you know that's a pretty good reason for anybody to suddenly lose their sense of humor or or, yeah or or whether that is a twist in the character that's is going to dial down that aspect a bit uh you're right i think it would make perfect sense for him to do that as she approaches the end of her arc 
Uh, and it'll be, I'll be interested to see how Moffat does end her arc and which direction he does decide to go in. I guess it all hinges on how the Sim Master comes back. If the Sim Master... I mean, some people have been saying the Sim Master will come back and, you know, we last saw him being good and, like, taking on Rassilon and he had turned good. And people are assuming he'll come back as the good guy. But what if he comes back as the bad guy and it's Missy playing the good character? You know, I don't know. I think it will really hinge on what he's doing as to how she might turn out. If he comes back as a good guy, I don't think she would be a good uh, good character as well for the rest of the series. Yeah, and have we even had it confirmed that they're going to be in the same episode? Yes, because I'm stretching my memory back. There was reference that they do have scenes together. Okay, okay. And yeah. and they and they were electric together, or you know the kind of hyperbole people sure, use. Sure, sure. You know they're describing stuff, but yes, they do have scenes together. They will meet. Okay, no, no, fair enough, fair enough. And isn't it interesting? We've been chatting for about twenty minutes, and it's all been about kind of really stuff that's quite minor to the episode. Yes, yes, because it's only here that we're really getting onto the plot. So, in terms of the plot, I want to say up front I really enjoyed it. Um, the whole concept of the episode that most of it was a simulation and the simulated Doctor would contact the real Doctor was was great. I thought the monsters looked really good. They're a bit silency. They're kind of like the silence meets a, a classic sort of vampire, like the Master from Buffy or something. But I'm 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 okay with that. I thought they looked really good. The concept of practicing world domination through this simulator makes perfect sense. I mean, what a great way to do it, although it's massive in its execution to replicate the whole world. I guess ultimately the episode was a big setup for what, what's to come. There's another two episodes uh, to come, but it didn't feel wasted for that fact. Sometimes a setup episode feels wasted, if you know what I mean. Um, this didn't feel wasted to me. This felt really, really solid, really good. Yeah, I more or less enjoyed the plot as well. Now, I need to jump straight to the simulated elephant in the corner of the simulated room. Yes. Babylon 5. Yes. The deconstruction of falling stars. Oh, was that uh, when they had a lot of news reports about Sheridan and we looked at him through the years? That's right. Yes. Including one where the bad guys were created a simulation of Babylon 5 and its characters and Garibaldi works out that he is a simulation and what's going on and emails the conversation to the good guy so they can launch a preemptive strike. Yes, I see where you're going. Yeah, uh, I'm not criticising at all for it, but um, I just noted that uh, I've seen this twist before and it was in Babylon 5. Could be completely coincidental. Oh, it could be. I mean, th there's a list on this website that goes through a lot of plots in the Eighth Doctor Adventure novels and how very, 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 very similar things have popped up in New Who. Again, could be just coincidence. So these things do happen. But yeah, I can see where people and yourself in this particular case, because I know you're a big Babylon 5 fan, would go, oh, yeah, and put two and two together. Yeah, so look, that, setting that aside, that, that's just a nice little sort of reference that I picked. What really intrigued me about this episode and what I found deceptive about this episode is that as it started to roll out in the first third to half, particularly because we had the Dr. Missy interchange being spliced between it, I was sitting there going, oh, this isn't going to be one of those ones where they lay out all this ridiculous, convoluted, twisty stuff and we don't really work out what's going on. And But as it all flowed out and unfolded, I've more and more gone, oh, I, that piece goes with that piece. Oh, this piece goes with this piece. Oh, this piece goes here. And I put it all together. And by the end of the episode, you go, wow, this really came together quite effectively. All the little hints 
worked well and all the little dramatic moments worked well and they all unfolded from what I thought was going to be a uh, a, a kind of twisted episode and an unsatisfying episode to a, ah, clever, I've got this, right, good. It's all worked out. Mm, I I completely agree with you there. Did, did you sort of have that feeling early on as sort of where, where's this going or... Yeah, I was certainly curious when they got to that room where it was all white and they could go into different famous places like the Pentagon or the Vatican or whatever. I thought that maybe the simulation was just of maybe, I don't know how many would be in that room, a dozen, maybe a dozen key places. But it seems to be that it was the whole world, which was quite uh, quite interesting. For a moment, I thought it was going to be like the uh, room in the Next Generation Season 2 episode, Contagion, I think it's called, where they have a, a basically a transport room that the aliens can you know, go through a different door and they're in all different places. I thought it was going to be like that. But no, it was something quite different. I was worried at this point that, it, you know, suddenly we were going to find out that you know, the last season, the last three seasons, you know, the whole of Doctor Who or something mm-hmm. you know, was going to turn out all to have been a, a dream or something, you know. Suddenly we'll pull back and there's William Hartner watching it going, hmm, maybe I won't do that after all. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. That briefly crossed my mind. I, I was so wrapped up in the episode that it was just a, a, a passing thought and then I was back into the action. But yes, it did, it did pass my mind too that are they going to pull off something here that particular aspects even of Doctor Who, if not the whole thing, haven't been real and, and so on. Obviously the fans would riot if they said the whole thing wasn't real, but maybe they could uh, retcon a few things perhaps. But no, it doesn't seem to be that. No, it doesn't. But, but that, that to me, to, to me there were two questions through the episode. The first two thirds was what's going on here? And that was very neatly resolved with about 10, 12 minutes to go. Then the last third, quarter to quarter of the third was how far back does this go? Now, I think it made it pretty clear, and again, unless there's a rug being pulled out from under us, it made it pretty clear that this only goes back to the start of the episode, and that everything we saw up to the end of last week is, is, is the real world. But yeah, I certainly spent a lot of time in that last 10 minutes going, how far back was the simulation? When, when did we enter this simulation? Yeah, and, and it's a topic I quite like. I wrote an essay about this in one of the You and Who books. I think I was writing about Amy's choice at the time, obviously, which has the sense of what's real, what's not real, the Dream Lord is, is tricking them. But I also wrote about other things like the Mind Robber and the Valyard in Trial of a Time Lord. And I really like when we have this sense of maybe not all of this is real or this could be all fake or whatever. So these kind of episodes just suck me in from the start anyway. Yeah, kind of like the fan theory that after the Doctor entered the Matrix in Trial of a Time Lord, everything since then's actually just been a Matrix simulation. Interesting. And, you know, just talking about The Matrix, do you think some some new Who fans perhaps will look at this and think, oh, Doctor Who's ripping off The Matrix. This is very Matrix-like. When, in reality, Doctor Who had sort of come up with the concept of The Matrix back in the mid-70s and even called it The Matrix, and people were living out adventures in it. Uh, yeah, look, that, that that's certainly possible. Um, this is a sort of episode that could have been really well done or that I could expect it to have been done in the 90s when that virtual, virtual reality cyberspace stuff was really big and, you know, every second new adventure for a while had a cyberspace domain of some sort so it was very very 90s feel but no it 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 came together well in a way i wasn't really expecting it did and it sets us up for the next couple of episodes and and just skipping ahead that that next episode just looks fantastic that pyramid oh my god special effects over the top great stuff well i just need to concur with you in there and say i've avoided judgment on the aliens because i think you can't until you see what they actually do next time Mm. you're right 
this has been an introduction episode that has had its own nice, neat resolution and then sets up next week. But I think the aliens, we need to see a bit more of them before we really, really judge them. And do we need to mention the papist stuff? Sure. Again, what we thought the whole episode was going to be about last week, which was, you know, Doctor Who and an exciting adventure with the Pope, <laughs> actually was very little to do with that. True. I mean, I touched on it briefly where in the, the naughty section of the Vatican Library there's a copy of Harry Potter. I thought that was a nice touch. But on the whole, yeah, look, I thought there was enough of it in there. I thought the Doctor got some time. I don't know who that guy was leading him around. Was he a cardinal or a bishop? I don't know what the ranks are. Um, he, he addressed him as cardinal, but I thought the outfit was a bishop's outfit, So, but I'm not sure I'm not a Catholic. Okay, yeah, well, look, exactly the same uh, here. So I um, I liked that character, though. He seemed quite interesting. That's who seemed to get the most airtime, apart from a few jokey sort of scenes with the Pope himself, who looked rather like the Pope. That was cool. There was reference to the Doctor having a relationship with a female Pope. I mean, the, the concept of a female Pope, as I remember from history, is just a rumour. There was a rumour that one of the Popes was female. I don't think it was actually true, though. But they seem to have played on that and painted her like Angelina Jolie. I've got to say, on, on the doorway through to that room. Yeah, I I actually didn't like that aspect of it when they tried to pretend that Pope Benedict IX was a woman. Uh, I didn't like it partly because it's simply not true, and I don't think that we should be giving children who you know do get their inspirations of history sometimes from Doctor Who that idea. You know, Pope Benedict IX was actually a very controversial pope, and there's a lot of stuff you could have done there. Uh, they were a very young pope. Given that they're rumoured to have been a homosexual as well, suddenly saying, oh, they're a female, I don't know if that was in bad taste or that's just me, but... Oh, I didn't know there was an extra layer there. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know whether, I don't know whether Stephen Moffat knew that. I don't know if he even just pulled a, a name and a number, you know, out of the blue. Just, you know, put a, put a pin in a list of popes and said, oh, that one, that one will do. It's about the right time. Or whether he actually knew a bit about Benedict the Ninth and was... Uh, you know, having some jokes there. Um, I suspect it's probably going to be the former. But for, for a show that has always inspired my love of history, I get quite narky when it makes fun of history and does these little things just for the, for a pretty lame gag, frankly. Mm. Well, like I say, there there is that historical rumour that a Pope has been female. I don't think it was Benedict, though. No. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know quite what they were going for there. It, it, it does uh, sort of confuse people i think yeah I, I suspect the moffat's written the date first and then gone back to a list and gone who was the pope on that date right i'll do that mm. rather than pick the pope and let that choose the date but anyway the the, the historian in me is coming out and getting narky and it's a it's a minor point all right shall we move on to word of the week yeah sure so look i'll, I'll start because we'll leave the uh, dramatic reveal of yours i think for a little <laughs> bit longer oh gosh uh, i i went for deceptive because the episode itself was an episode about deception and about the way that the world that they thought they in was not real. I also thought it was an episode that was deceptive in that the sort of episode I thought it was going to be turned out to not be that sort of episode. I thought it was going to be a convoluted and hard to get into and confusing and unresolved episode. I, I was really quite worried about that as it started off. In the end, it was actually one that came together very, very neatly for me. So it did deceive me. And that's why... For a while there, I was actually going to go with the word insidious, because this is an episode that started off with me not liking it, but got under my skin and, and ingratiated itself with me. However, because insidious does technically have a very negative meaning, mm. I thought that would be unfair. So I, I pulled back from that and went with the deceptive instead. 
Okay, very cool. I I can get behind that. Absolutely. My word, ascension, uh, two meanings. The first is that this is building to something really grand. That's sort of littered all through the story. There's more to come. It's going to really heat up. Something big's going to happen. It's ascending. So ascension was my word. But the second meaning I had for it is there's this real sense that Capaldi has ascended in this series to being the doctor I think he always should have been. I mean, yeah. there, are, there are glimpses of this Doctor all the way through the run. You go back to his first series, he's doing amazing stuff there, here and there. But in that first series, I really struggle with some of it now. I liked it at the time, and I had this sense of, okay, they're trying to do the Colin Baker thing, but doing it right. He's starting off a bit this way, and he's going to become fluffier. That's what they've done, but I think they could have got there faster. And while it's interesting... I look back on that short-haired, very angry Doctor of his first series, and I look at this more fluffy-haired, world-weary Doctor, and I just wish he'd been more like this from the start. I understand they've tried to do something interesting. I I understand all of that, you know, and I I can see even how it's interesting on some levels. But I just think Capaldi has reached the point where his Doctor always should have been, and gosh, it's going to be sad when he goes at the end of this series. Yeah, I'm I'm probably a little bit... Um, kinder on his era than you are. I've I've said before that I have really enjoyed the vast majority of the Capaldi era, and 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 for that reason, I I I really struggle now to talk about the Moffat era because I just see that as two completely different and distinct halves. You know, I I look back to that first season of Capaldi. I didn't like the first two, and particularly didn't like him in the first two, especially inside the Dalek. I hated and loathe and detest the last two episodes, and I'm on record many times about that. <laughs> JR, no need to write in. <laughs> but that, 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 that middle run of episodes, I thought, in that season, I really quite enjoyed. His middle season, I didn't mind it as I watched it at the time, but it's not one I'm going to go back to much. Uh, again, I didn't like the first two. Had some good stuff in there, but, you know, I hate to say this again, but... If we'd had that middle season without Clara, I think it could have been so much better. Yeah, agree. And, and I think that's a combination of the fact that Clara's arc just had run out by then and what they got her to do in that, that season wasn't too good. And, and the fact that she just never resonated with me as a character. But we're going over old ground there. I've seen this Capaldi many times in the past is what I'm trying to say. I think I've seen him a bit more than you have. But you're right, for, for sheer consistency, this has been a season that's been of remarkable consistency i still don't think we've had an absolute classic i still don't think though that we've had a dud that's a pretty impressive thing to be able to say about a season literally halfway through yes yes exactly right we are halfway through gosh that's gone so quick shall we give marks out of 10 yeah you go go first please all right i'm giving this a very confident nine out of 10 i enjoyed every moment i thought it was great so why not give it 10 out of 10 For me, a 10 is when I'm watching something and I'm thinking while I'm watching it, I'm watching history. Or or at best, after it's ended, I think, I've just watched history. And the most recent example of that for me is Heaven Sent. That ended and I thought, holy hell, okay, that was really, really good. This episode doesn't give me that sense really at all. But at the same time, I found it to be pretty flawless throughout and just the way I like Doctor Who. So I've, I've got to give it 9 out of 10. I, I can't see any way around that. I thought this was fabulous. Wow, okay, okay. I've really struggled to come up with a number for this one because it is an episode of different parts, and I struggle to judge the whole. If I was marking the first third, I would have given it a 6. Mm-hmm. If I was marking the middle third, a 7, 
the final third and eight. So I'm, I'm going to average those and say that it gets a seven. I suspect more than any other episode this season, this is a mark that I'm going to come back to and revise, particularly when we see the conclusion of this three-parter that it's setting up. So I'm, I'm not saying seven with any confidence at all. And this will be one that I suspect I will have to revisit and reassess. I, I know where you're coming from. Uh, listeners will remember in the first few episodes of this series, I was ping-ponging all over the place from week to week as I would see something new and think, uh, I might reevaluate something for, for good or, or bad. So, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. For me, though, I was pushing and poking at it as I was watching it, you know, in my mind and thinking, no, I'm I'm liking this. No, I'm not finding fault. No, this is good. So I, I, I just can't not give it the mark I gave it. Yeah. For me, I agree with you on the good stuff. I suspect there were a few moments that just narked me a little bit more than they narked you and dragged me back down. Mm, I think so. Well, shall we examine some of those things maybe at the sports desk? Seems appropriate. Here we are at the Sports Desk where we talk MVP, Player of the Week and Foul of the Week. Dave, let's kick off with MVP. I'm going to jump in first here and say for me, it's Moffat. I think he'd already sat himself in the top two stories of the series so far with the pilot. But to me, this one just skips past the pilot with a na-na-na-na-na as it skips past. It's just on a completely different level. And so I'm, I'm giving it to the writer, Stephen Moffat. You're very enamored with this one, aren't you? I really liked it. I keep coming back to this thought that I can't find real fault with it, so I can't not say it's great, you know. Yeah, look, that's fair enough. I really looked hard for various different options for this one, but I couldn't go past Peter Capaldi as my MVP this week. His performance, particularly given some of the difficult stuff that he had to do and work his way around, I thought was really good. So uh, this is the second or third time I've given Capaldi the... MVP of the week, and I think that's a very fair reflection of how he's going this season. Yeah, and I've given it to him several times in past episodes too. He is a gem. Play of the week, why don't you take this one, Dave? Sure. So, play of the week, I am giving to the sequence where Bill works out what's going on and that she's not real. That scene in the simulated Oval Office where she kind of knows that she's not real and she's waiting for the doctor to tell her it's all going to be okay. And as he explains it further to her, she just gets that confirmation. No, this whole thing's fake. I'm fake. I don't reel. And her performance there was just wonderful. It wasn't understated. It wasn't overstated. It was brilliant, I thought. And for me, that was my play of the week. Nardole is the first one, though, to, to disappear and break up into pixels. How did you feel about him going? I think that I was surprised, but... Him making funny noises as he disappeared didn't give it the uh, dramatic <laughs> resonance that Bill's Bill's part did. My play of the week, and I, and you don't share this because we've already discussed it, so I'll be brief, was the execution scene in the pre-credits. Uh, it takes a lot for me to stop something uh, at the opening credits and rewind it and watch it straight away, but that made me do it. Um, so for me, that really stood out as a very rare thing for me in Doctor Who. I really enjoyed it. I think the way Missy played it, as we have discussed as well, was really good. Really interesting where that might go. Which gets my foul of the week. <laughs> well, that leads seamlessly into foul of the week, doesn't it? It, it does. And yeah, uh, really interesting. Really interesting that you, you say that, Robin. We've come at this scene from 
totally different angles, and that's that's really cool. No, for me, for all the reasons I explained at the start of this episode, I was really not enjoying that scene at all. The the later ones spliced through the episode are not getting the criticism that I'm giving these, but the the particular bits of that pre credit scene that didn't work for me at all, and that is definitely my foul of the week. Okay. My foul of the week I found very hard to pick because, as I've kept saying, I found this episode fairly flawless and I was poking and prodding and not really finding too much wrong with it. But I'm going to pull out the moment when uh, Dole says, I'm allowed to kick his ass. From the sense that New Who and Moffat in particular is always trying to downplay the Doctor's ability. Like, yeah, as if Nardole could kick his ass, you know, whatever. I, I sit there thinking that when I hear lines like that. It's in the same bucket as the Doctor declaring he's an idiot in past episodes or not understanding if someone's not wearing makeup. It's all in the same bucket to me. Trying, yeah, right. Trying to make the Doctor look silly. And no, he's a super intelligent time-travelling guy, you know. He's a dozen steps ahead of the rest of us. He's an alien. Leave him that way. You know, don't try and downplay it. At, oh, I'm an idiot. And oh, I can kick your ass. And, you know... It, it just tries to... I know there's this bubble of pomposity that the Doctor has that Moffat tries to prick. It calls to mind Danny Pink saying, you're an officer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Officer. You know, because you're, <laughs> you're a lord. Uh, can't and, remind I mean, me. Flashbacks. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's a real new who, again, a real Moffat sort of thing. I just don't like it. Just, you know, it doesn't mean he can't be nice and friendly, but let the companion be the human side to the show. Don't always be putting down the lead, thinking it's making him more relatable or pricking that bubble of pomposity. I actually like that bubble of pomposity. I, I like that my hero is super intelligent. I like that Nardole couldn't kick his ass. So putting these lines in sometimes just makes me go, hmm, I get a bit itchy. Yeah, no, I can agree with that. My, my quiet thought to myself as you said that line was, yes, if you could. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right, so now let's wrap up with some listener messages, ArcWatch and FanWatch. We'll start off with the listener messages. The first one is from Jeff Waddle at JeffWaddle68 on Twitter. G'day, Jeff. He says, and this is with regard, obviously, to last week's episode, Oxygen, best episode this season so far. One of the best of the last three seasons. Creepy, nerve-jangling, and no Clara in sight. Great stuff, 9 out of 10. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything there. I'm slightly higher mark than we gave him, but yeah, good good comments, Jeff. Cool. Uh, I've got one from Marcus Scarman, who is at Marcus Scarman. Tip Marcus, if your brother comes back from Egypt, don't try and hug him. <laughs> and he says, it was nice of the Alien Covenant guys to let them film on their sets, <laughs> which I thought was very funny because I thought the same thing when I, I saw it, as I mentioned last week. That's right. You've you've seen it. I've not, but I, I totally get where he's coming from. Those sets did look good, and I still think that main set was a model. It just looks so good. So, yeah. Moving on, Michael Seeley at MP Seeley on Twitter says, Moffat has a thing about spacesuits, hasn't he? I only watch these once or twice, and this one will be revisited for the gorgeous visuals. So, again, people pointing out the, the great sets and, I guess, visuals overall in Oxygen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got another one here from Simon Pittman, who tweets at Library Player. Great episode, had a real horror feel to it, and great cliffhanger. Looking forward to finding out what who is in the vault. 
well, let's see how you feel after this week. Yeah, let us know, Simon, that's for sure. Uh, Mike Solko at MA Solko, and who will be uh, hosting, co-hosting the monthly episode of our show next week, says, Keeping it as brief as possible, this one feels drastically overrated. The background cast were more robotic than their suits. I've seen more personality from an Adric statue. The Sonic getting crushed did get a cheer from me, and I'm curious to see where the Doctor's new condition takes him. Five out of ten. My God, Mike, don't hold back. Yeah, no, interesting take that Mike's got there, and I think a few people have also felt this was a bit overrated and, and that that's fair enough um i must admit i forgot to mention last week that i did cheer when the sonic screwdriver got crushed but you've had to go at adric so you lose a couple of points from me <laughs> you got another one there dave i have so this is from alan morris who is at alan four zero zero four zero zero. i must be missing something this is the worst season ever i've been watching from the 70s tell me someone why this is good wow interesting that you you felt that way and look i know you're not alone i can simply reiterate what i've been saying on this podcast for the last five weeks now i find them good fun adventures in, in space and time and that's to me what doctor who should be doing uh, i i agree with you there's been no out there really good deep chewy classics but i've been having fun and to me that's what doctor who should do so i can only explain why i'm enjoying it i can't explain why others do yeah, even for me, giving today a 9 out of 10, that doesn't put it in classic territory for me. I, I do want to be clear on that, too. I thought it was just a good story. And it's interesting that uh, Alan mentions the 70s there, because the episodes we're getting now are more like the 70s than the past couple of series of Capaldi, for example. So I don't know whether Alan liked those more and doesn't like this one, even though the episodes themselves are a bit more just adventure of the week kind of things. Well, they have been up until this point. This is obviously where it's going to change up year a bit. But um, yes, final one. This is Matt from the Never Cruel podcast. They uh, tweet at Polite Whovians. He says, and Dave Gerger loins for this, Matt Lucas, I argue on our forthcoming episode about oxygen, would make a brilliant doctor. Dave, have you fallen off your chair? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, everyone's entitled to their opinion, no matter how wrong they are. Oh, it's a bit harsh. <laughs> no, 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 look, no, I'm, 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 I'm saying that with my tongue in my cheek. Look, I, I, I disagree, but um, that's okay. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. So, Arkwatch, is there anything extra we need to add? Because I think most of the plot was fairly self-explanatory in terms of where it sits in the arc. Yeah, look, we talked about the whole Missy thing earlier. Do we need to see it come out of it? Probably. Do we get to get a peek inside it? I'm quite curious as to what it looks like inside, but I'm weird like that. You know, is it the Sim Master who returns to wreck things? Is Missy going to be good? I don't know. I don't even know where he pops up in this three-parter, or even if he does, whether he's only in the two episodes at the end of the series. I'm confusing myself now. Yeah, but look, let's take it on face value. A lot of the arc was laid out in fairly straightforward terms we assume at this point so i think we've, we now know a little bit more about where this season is going moving on to fan watch i guess the big one is will the doctor's blindness continue i mean we see that he's got some sight he's he's a bit like daredevil in that sense you know when he's got the sonic shades on he can sort of see shapes and things but again i wouldn't like to see it continue for the rest of the series it may continue for the rest of this three-parter though that, that's a possibility yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to be very curious to see what fans thought of this one. I'm going to be curious to see whether people who have really loved the more moffity seasons of the past few years and have been a bit down on this season suddenly find their, their passion sparked. 
I'm going to be interested to see whether some people who, you know, are, are not fans of the Moffaty stuff but have enjoyed the last five weeks are, are down on this one or whether sort of like me, they they, they found the good in it and you know, didn't didn't mind it. Um, Yeah, I'll be really interested to see how this one plays out because it's a, it's a tricky one to judge this one, I think. Well, next week we have the Pyramid at the End of the World. We saw the trailer for it. As I said, I love that special effect of the Pyramid. It looks really good. This is going to be written by Peter Harness and Stephen Moffat. I get the feeling when Moffat puts himself on those uh, credits like that, it means he's done a bit more of a substantial rewrite than normal. I don't know whether that means anything. Yeah, look, honestly, I'm, I don't know either. I, yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> Alrighty, so Peter Harness, uh, Kill the Moon Peter Harness is writing next time, so <laughs> all bets are off for me. You see, I didn't mind Kill the Moon, <laughs> with with the exception of the the very, very last bit where it lays an egg that becomes a new moon. That that was silly, but I, I didn't mind new moon. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, okay, yeah. Alright, well, we shall see next week. Until then, I've... Well, 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 you will. Oh, yes, of course. We have, uh, obviously, Dave going away for the next couple of episodes and our monthly episode at the end of this month. So, uh, Dave, you're off to the US? Uh, yeah, well, yes, I'm off to Canberra first. I'm flying there in a couple of hours and uh, got a week there, and then I come back and go straight to America for two weeks. So I'm hoping that my hotel in Boston, when I get there in a week's time, will have BBC America. I can come back from the Red Sox game and watch this on BBC America. If not, I'll sure I'll find some sort of technological way to keep in touch with Doctor Who, but uh, not sure where I'll see the week after that, but um, episode nine, I will be back. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, of course, tweet us, Dave, at uh, the DW Show or write to hello at the dwshow.net. I'll send through some thoughts. <laughs> Excellent. Until then, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. And we'll see you then. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.